Have a seat. Uh, we've been in the, in the Gospel of John here for quite a while. And uh, this month specifically, we've been in John chapter 7. We started it at the very beginning where it said that Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. We also got this, this word from John that the Jewish festival shelters, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, Tabernacles was, was near. And at that time, Jesus' brothers said to him, you know, hey, go public. Don't, don't keep yourself a secret. If you're going to do all of these things, then show yourself to everyone as you do these things. But they didn't really have pure motives in telling him to do that. They didn't really understand what they were saying because John says that they didn't believe. And Jesus, when he replied to them, he said in verse 6 that his time had not yet arrived. But your time is always at hand. Like their time, it was a unique point in which, and Jesus uses this word uh, kairos, which is a, un, a unique and, and specific way of referring to time. And, and he's saying basically for you guys, the calendar and your kairos moment kind of line up. It's time for you to go to the feast because the calendar says that you should go to the feast and there's no other reason that you shouldn't go to the feast. But there is a reason that I shouldn't go to the feast. He says, my, my time has not yet fully come. And so I'm not going to go to the, the feast with you in this big family caravan. I'm not going to go with the rest of the, of the pilgrims because my time has not yet fully come. Plerao is that word. It means to fill up or consummate, to make full. My time is not yet full. So the, the calendar might say it's time for me to go to the feast right now, but I function on a different calendar. I function on divine time. And since I function on divine time, it's not time for me to go up yet with you and the rest of the pilgrims. But then we found that John told us in verse 14, and we, as we've been working through this chapter, we saw that when the festival was already about half over, midway through it, Jesus went up into the temple and he began to teach. As he taught, he gathered people around him and, and, and he, he reminded them as they were amazed at his teaching, he, he reminded them something that's very, very important to him. And we're going to see it even again today. He's going to emphasize this very same thing in the passage we're going to look at today. He said, my teaching isn't mine, but it is, is from the one who sent me. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Jesus is this humble, true, perfect representation of the being of God. No unrighteousness in him at all. He, is a fearless, uh, he, was, he was fearless in challenging them. And he also identified himself, as we saw last week, as this incredible wor miracle worker. But interestingly enough, Jesus just calls it a work, right? Uh, almost like a task, almost like something very utilitarian or, or ordinary for him. And it is normal, it is ordinary for God to do these things. And, and he says, I perform one work and you are all amazed. In the same way that they're amazed at his teaching, they were amazed at this one work and he's likely referring to the healing that he provided to a man who had been lame for 38 years that he encountered in chapter five when he healed that man who was at the pool of Bethesda along with many others who were there and crippled and lame. And so as we, as we kind of move then uh, into the next section, we're gonna pick it up in actually in verse 25. And so if you've got a Bible or you want to uh, use your device, uh, you can look at John chapter 7, verse 25. I'm going to be reading from the, from the Christian Standard Bible. Let's start uh, by just reading uh, chapter, uh, verse 25 and a little bit of verse 26 as we get started today. Jesus, and here John, John writing uh, about Jesus still in this experience he's having at the feast with many others says this. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, 
Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Yet look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. Before we jump off and get into this today, let's take a moment and uh, ask God to bless us with his presence and to open our hearts up to what he would want to speak to us about today. Father God, thank you for your word. We pray that as we dive into it, that you would be our teacher. We pray, God, that as we, um, as we learn more and more about the person of Jesus, as John reveals more to us, as he was trying to re- reveal more to those first readers of his, of his gospel, that it wouldn't just be leave us, Lord, with more information, but that we, we pray that you would transform us, draw us closer to yourself. Help us, Lord, to put our faith completely in you. Help us to walk after you as the followers of Jesus with an intentionality that's different maybe than we walked in today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. John uses an interesting phrase here. Some more literal translations might call it the Jerusalemites. In our translation, it says some of the people of Jerusalem. It's, uh, it's not a very commonly used word in the New Testament. It's, uh, it's found actually only here and in Mark chapter 1, verse 5. It doesn't refer to the whole population, not everyone in the, in the city, but kind of like, think of it as like kind of the city mob. Okay, kind of a, a significant amount of the people. And it's, it's probably different than the pilgrims that have traveled into the city. Okay, it's more like people who are from Jerusalem, they're there with the feast. Anyway, again, not referring to the every single resident of the city of Jerusalem, but instead many of them. They, they all, all, also, you can see that they know a little bit more than the pilgrims. Check it out. They, they know the murder plot. They say, isn't this the man that they, this generic they, right, probably referring to the Jewish leadership, isn't this the man that they are trying to kill? So they're not part of the murder plot, but they know the murder plot. And so they, they see Jesus and they say about him, and here's the, one of the ironic twists here. Remember what Jesus had said to his, to his brothers, he says, it's not time for me to go up. I'm, and, and in fact, John says uh, that when Jesus went up, he, di- he went up secretly, right? So that he wouldn't be noticed. He went, he went up kind of like, uh, kind of in an anonymous way after the feast was already about half over. But look at what the people of Jerusalem are saying. Look at what the city mob is saying. He's speaking publicly. And they, that, again, that they, the same people that are trying to kill him. And they're saying nothing to him. And when John uses this, this uh, phrase, the, he's, Jesus is, and these, these uh, cities, uh, people of Jerusalem use this phrase, that he's speaking publicly, it's the word parousia. It means outspokenness, but all outspokenness. It's freedom or frankness in speaking. It's unreservedness in speech, that is saying something boldly, openly, and freely. Saying all that one thinks, all that one pleases. It denotes being public uh, or being publicly known, not being hidden, not being concealed. Now, it's really amazing that, do you know that this is the same word that, Jesus, that John uses when he tells us what his brothers said to him? Remember when they, when they said to him, hey, go public? It says that They said in verse 4, Jesus' brothers, when they wanted him to go up to the feast, when they were kind of challenging him, they, say, they said to him, for no one does anything in secret while he's seeking Public recognition, same exact word. And then in verse 13, we saw that 
uh, how, or I'm sorry, yeah, verse 13, we saw how, remember when the, there was all this debate about who Jesus was, that some of them were saying he's a good man and others were saying that he was a deceiver. It says in verse 13, still nobody was talking publicly about him, same word, because of fear of the Jews. And now when Jesus is at the feast, it's clear that he is speaking openly, frankly, completely, boldly, with no reservation. And so it's like John has flipped the entire script. His brothers ironically said to him, go be public. And he said, it's not time for me to do that. But then halfway up through the feast, he goes up there. And while the crowd is kind of afraid of the Jews, and so that's why they're not speaking publicly, Jesus, with both courage and and openness, and that word has actually, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. I would suggest to you that Jesus is speaking openly, plainly, and frankly, but he's also doing it courageously. So it's like he's living out both meanings of, the, of that very word. And so in doing so, Jesus is basically, as he is trying to do with his entire ministry, he's trying to help people to understand who he is, where he's from, what he's there to do, what he's all about. And as we're going to see today, he's even going to tell them about where he's headed once he is done with the work that he's given, been given to do. And that's what the rest of this passage is all about. And it begins with a question about his identity. This is such a recurring question in the Gospel of John and in all the Gospels. Who is this Jesus? Just like when his followers were on the boat with him and the boat was like in this terrible storm and then Jesus is asleep on the boat and he wakes up after they wake him up and they're kind of like, you know, indignant about the fact that he's sleeping and saying, don't you even care if we drown? And he kind of gets up and rubs the sleep out of his eyes and speaks to the wind and the waves and everything is calm. And what do they say? Who is this guy? Who is this? The question of the identity of Jesus is at the heart of what the gospelers are trying to help us to understand. And so look at what the people, again, this is still the people of Jerusalem that are speaking, that city mob people, right? Can it be true that the authorities know that he is the Messiah? By the way, the formation of the Greek there implies that that they expect a negative answer to that question, right? It's a rhetorical question that they would expect to be answered, no. Can it be true that the authorities know that he is the Messiah? Probably not. But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. Now, this is a little bit of John's irony here. They know where he's from because what do they think, where do they think he's from? They think he's from Nazareth, right? This little insignificant town in Galilee. And the irony here is they don't actually know where he's from, but they think they know where he's, where he's from because in their minds, the only thing that they would know about him is what's to be known, that he is from Nazareth, this indiscriminate town in Galilee. But they go on to say, when the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. Many of the Jews in Jesus' day believed that the Messiah, the Christ, would burst on the scene suddenly and people would not know where he was from. He, he, they, they, there were, in fact, there was a, a kind of a famous saying among the rabbis that three things came unexpectedly. The Messiah a windfall, and a scorpion. <laughs> those strings, the three things are, are unlike in any other way, but the rabbi said, those are three things that you can't kind of plan for. You can't plan for the Messiah. He's going to come unexpectedly. You never know when a windfall might come, and by the way, be aware, because a scorpion might be lurking around that, that, that corner. The, in fact, there were, some, there were some people who believed 
that even the Messiah himself would not know he is the Messiah until he was told that he was the Messiah. He would be there, and until it was revealed to him, he wouldn't understand that there was a lot of competing and misunderstandings. In fact, some rabbis taught the, the Messiah would rise up out of the sea. Rise up out of the sea, and there would be the Messiah, and it would be revealed to them, this is the Messiah. So there's, that's why there's this confusion among them when they say, when the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. Now remember, Jesus had gone up to the feast, He went up to the feast on his terms at his time to do what he wanted to do. He's speaking openly and plainly, and they're kind of shocked at that because they know of the murder plot, and why isn't this guy kind of keeping himself more secret? Because it seems, ironically, that that's exactly why he didn't go there in the first place with his brothers because of the fact that he was trying, there was this murder plot against him. But as he was teaching in the temple, John says something very interesting. It says, as he was teaching in the temple, it says, Jesus cried out. The word is kratzo. It probably mean, it means properly to croak as a raven croaks or scream. That is to call aloud. It's to, to shriek or exclaim, to cry out in a loud voice. So maybe when Jesus was speaking before, he was speaking openly, plainly, freely, courageously. But at this point, he doesn't only want to speak openly, plainly, courageously to the small crowd that he's teaching, teaching for their transformation. Now he says, hey, all of you listen. Even if you haven't heard anything before now, hear this. It's used a number of times in John's gospel to introduce very important teaching. This phrase, kratzo, to cry out, to exclaim. What did he cry out? Continuing on in verse 28. You know me. You know where I am from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. In other words, there's this, again, ironical agreement with what the Jerusalemites had just said. We know where this guy is from. Jesus says, Ironically, yeah, you kind of do know where I'm from, and yet you don't know where I'm from. See, his, this, this question of his, of his identity and his source, he, see, he goes on to say, uh, you know me and where I'm from, yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You see, it mattered everything to Jesus that God the Father had sent him. The one who sent me is true. One scholar, translator says, that refers to that, the one who sent me is true as someone who is very real. Someone who is very true. We know that Jesus says about himself that he is truth. This idea that it's very important to Jesus that people understand that he was sent by God, not that he was unwilling to come, but that he is on this mission. And I shared this with you last week, and it kind of opened my eyes up a little bit in a, in a new way, and maybe it, did, it will yours as well, that when Jesus says, the one who sent me, it's, it's, it means to dispatch, especially on just a temporary errand. Now, I would have never thought about the ministry of Jesus, his earthly ministry, as this temporary errand from the Father, but that's kind of exactly what it is. He's here on this errand that has finite limits, right? 
He has a specific calling with finite limits, and that's exactly what God has done. He's dispatched him on this temporary errand. In other words, he wants people to understand who his dispatcher is. He wants people to grasp his real identity, and there's always that struggle for people to understand it, even to today. He wants people to understand where he's from, who sent him. And he says, again, he says, you know where, or you think you know, right, where I'm from, because in your minds, I'm from Nazareth and Galilee. But you don't know him. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Again, that word pimple, again. More irony here, guys. Who are these people that he's talking to? The people of God. God's chosen people. And what does he say? You don't know him. Probably a reason that he's speaking in a loud voice, right? You are his people. And you don't know him. But I know him. Because I am from him. I am him in the flesh. Distinct in person, yes, but equal in divinity, yes. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Since they didn't know God, they didn't know the Messiah. And so that's why they, there's all this confusion. When he says this, of course, what would you imagine the reaction would be? Positive, negative. We're the people of God. We're his chosen people. In fact, we refer to other people that are not the chosen people of God, namely Gentiles. How do we refer to those people? As dogs. And a very unfortunate and yet very common prayer that would be prayed by a lot of Jewish males at that time was, God, thank you that I was not born a dog or a woman. Shocking, right? That level of, and and, and when they're talking about being born a dog, it's a reference to the Gentiles. And so this, it's shocking that these people who saw themselves as the people of God are now hearing the one who comes from God say to them, you don't know him. So what do they try to do? <laughs> well, they tried to seize him. They tried to seize him. That word uh, seize, is, uh, it's the word piazzo. It means uh, to capture or catch. It's used to catch, uh, it's used as a phrase when you would describe catching fish in nets it's also used to describe uh, capturing a, a person to imprison them. And so it says, then they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And we don't know exactly how they tried to seize him. We don't exactly know who are the people that are trying to seize him, but I think we do know why they were unsuccessful. We don't know what went wrong with the attempt, but we know the reason, and the reason is, it is Jesus' mission. John is clear. Jesus had come to discharge a divinely given mission, and there's no way that anyone is going to do anything to stop him from completing that mission. And so we don't know who or how, but we know why it failed. We know why it failed is because his hour was not yet there. 
It wasn't time for him to die. He wasn't finished with his work yet. And so there was never a time. There's nothing that would make Jesus' death come earlier than it should. And when it's time for him to die, there's nothing that could delay it when the hour arrives. It's interesting, in this very gospel, in John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus says this as he's praying to his Father. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. At that point, he's not dead. He's alive. He's praying. It's before his death. So the work of Jesus was, yes, to die for us, for the sins of humanity, but it was also to do all of the preparation so that when he would leave, he left the hands of the gospeling in, the, in, in, the, in those who understood who he was, where he was from, and what their calling was. So because his hour had not yet come, then though, this, though they tried to seize him, they couldn't. But then there's another group of people. So you got, you got the, somebody trying to grab him, could have been the Jews, could have been, the, could have been those Jerusalemites, could have been some of the others. But then and John interjects in verse 31 that however many from the crowd believed in him and now we have a whole other group of people. Again, it's not the quote unquote people of Jerusalem, it's the crowd, maybe it's the pilgrims, the people who had traveled. Many from the crowd believed in him and said, well when the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? I mean, can there be somebody who does more than what this guy has done? Can we expect somebody to do something greater than this guy has done? Remember how John has been all about these things, right? On multiple occasions. These signs. The word is Simeon. When in, in, in showing us these signs, what Jesus is basically giving us is he's showing us his credentials, that he is. Remember, a simeon, a sign, is an indication or a mark or a token. It's something by which a person or thing is distinguished from others and known. Remember that when John gets to the end of this, of this gospel, in chapter 20, verse 31, he's going to say in 30 and 31 that there are so many signs that Jesus did that aren't even in this book. But I have written down these so that you may what? Believe. That's his agenda. In other words, John's agenda has partially been achieved, right? John's mission, John's goal, John's objective has partially been achieved because it says here that many from the crowd believed in Jesus and part of the reason for their belief is because they see all of the signs that he's doing. So we see the credentials that Jesus has, that he is identifying himself. We see his identity. We see his dispatcher. We see his credentials. We see his mission. The Pharisees then more, another group of people. You got the pilgrims there, you got the crowd there, you've got the Jews there, referring to, you know, to the leaders. You've got the crowd there, probably referring to the pilgrims. John picks it up in verse 32 and says, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring. Here's more of this stuff, right? This murmuring, remember? They murmured, murmured about him when he, when he was coming into town, you know. Ooh, is he a good guy? Oh, maybe he's a deceiver. This is secret debate, right? This low-tone grumble, that's what the word means. The Pharisees heard all this stuff in the crowd that was being said about him. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees sent service, servants to arrest him. Now, I, a little, John gets something very accurate here that you might read right, right past. The Pharisees didn't have the legal authority to do anything to Jesus. They didn't have, they weren't uh, officials in the same way. They, they were people, they were, they were leaders, 
But they couldn't have brought uh, charges against Jesus in the way that the chief priests would bring charges against Jesus. So clearly what has happened here is the Pharisees, having heard what the crowd is saying about Jesus, have run to the chief priests, and the chief priests and the Pharisees together then work together to send some officials of theirs to arrest Jesus. And Jesus says, now, it seems that at that point, there's this kind of break because we haven't heard from Jesus him saying anything since verse 29. Now it picks back up in verse 33 and Jesus says to them, and again, remember that that phrase, pimple? Remember what that word means? To dispatch on a temporary errand? What does Jesus say here? I am only with you for a short time. I'm just running a temporary errand for my father. I'm just here to do something very specific for a few years and then I'm done. I'm only going to be with you for a short time. Then, then, then I'm going to the one who sent me. So at some level, there's kind of like two things that are happening here. I kind of think they're happening at the same time, like concurrently. The Pharisees are hearing this grumbling of the crowd. They get with the chief priests, say, we got to do something about this guy. The chief priests say, okay, okay. So the, the chief priests and the Pharisees find some people that they send to go arrest Jesus. But at the same time, Jesus is saying to the crowd, he knows all of this other stuff is going on. He says to them, by the way, I'm only on this temporary errand. But someday I'm headed back to my father. You see, not only does Jesus want us to understand and want, want, to, want those people to understand his identity, his credentials, his mission, his dispatcher, but he also wants them to know where he's going, what his destination is. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And then the Jews said to one another, where does he intend to go that we won't find him? He doesn't intend to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? A little bit more of John's irony here. Jesus never did that. He never went and taught the Greeks, but what did his followers do? Followers did that very thing when they were dispersed out into the world to be the ones who would take the message not only to those uh, in Jerusalem, not only the people of Israel, but also to the Greeks. So Jesus' enemies say to one another, and, the, and, they, and again, more confusion, right? More misunderstanding. Where, where is he going to go that we can't locate him? Just like in the same way that they said, we know where he's from, and they didn't really know where, really know where he was from, they now don't understand where he's going. Because who do they see him as? They didn't realize what they were doing when they rejected Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Because in rejecting Jesus of Nazareth, they were rejecting the Son of God. They were rejecting God's gift to them. They didn't think of the possibility that in Jesus of Nazareth, they were actually being confronted with a messenger from God himself. And because of that, they missed it. And they're not the only ones, right? Some of us sitting here today maybe have missed it. We've never come to grips really with our entire heart and our entire being that God has given us himself and has sent his messenger on this temporary errand of redemption for each of us. 
And he's done these things and he's taught these truths and he's performed these miracles and he died this death that we might have life. If we'd only, what does John want us to do? If we would only believe. I'm not trying to be like Jesus and Kratzo here a little bit and cry out, but it is kind of important. So again, this, John leaves us at the end of this passage today with this confusion, with this misunderstanding. What is this remark he has made, they say to themselves. You will look for me and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. What's that about? What's that mean? The irony is, to those who are his followers, what does Jesus say? Where I am going, you too will be. Unbelief. You're not going where I'm going. But when we do believe, we are headed to the same exact destination as the Son of God. I pray today as we wrap up, as the worship team comes and leads us in a closing song, I pray today that each of us here would surrender completely to the truth that John is sharing with us today about who he is, where he's from, who he knows, what he's here to do, what he's done, and where he's going. I pray that each one of us would not only know that with our minds about the person of Jesus, but that we receive it by faith in our hearts to be his followers, to be his disciples. Would you stand and bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you for your son, our savior, the Lord. This miracle working teacher of truth, perfect human, perfectly God. God, we don't want to be like those many people that experienced Jesus but did not believe. We pray that you would help us to walk in faith, genuine faith of the one who invites us to trust in him and have life. We celebrate who he is and what he's done. We yield ourselves, Lord, to that. We yield ourselves to him that he might have rule and reign in our lives and that might bring you honor and glory. We pray all of these things in his name, the name of the one who saves, Jesus, amen.